0: Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 53, going through to chapter 14 and finishing at verse 12. So Matthew 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables he went away from there and coming to his hometown he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astounded and said where did this this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is it not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Lisa. Good resounding thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's always encouraging. You know, it's interesting um, when it comes to Christianity. um, You know, the world today, the world that we live in, is willing to tolerate, they're willing to tolerate this, right? They're willing to tolerate most of Christianity in so far as our faith is privatized. The world today is willing to tolerate Christianity insofar as it is privatized. I mean, look, it's okay if you, if you want to spend time reading the Bible and praying, just make sure you do that in the privacy of your own home, okay? And if you want to have certain convictions about things on moral issues that your book, whatever, talks about, Things like marriage and gender and sexuality and things like that. That's fine. Just keep it to yourself. The world we live in today is happy to endorse Christianity insofar insofar as it is privatized. Now, but what are we supposed to do with that? What's the problem with that? Well, there's lots of problems. But on the one hand, one problem is is that it's logically impossible. Um, Here's the deal. Everybody, religious or not, everybody, from the agnostic to the atheist, to the Buddhist, to the Hindu, to the Muslim, to the Christian, everybody operates, makes choices with a set of beliefs. In other words, beliefs are ingrained in people. They're ingrained in you. You made a choice, didn't you? You're sitting here, at least for now. and right. But you're, you're here. You made a choice. You, you, could, you could be doing a lot of other things on a beautiful autumn morning like today, but here you are. There's a belief system that, that you have. There's a belief system that every single person in this world has. And the reality is that beliefs are ingrained in people and cannot be separated from the lens by which they process all of reality. Does that make sense? So in other words, the agnostic, the atheist says, just privatize your religion, but the agnostic and the atheist has a religion. (laughs) They just don't call it a religion. So we're okay with your Christianity insofar as you don't bring it into the public sphere. Now, that's obviously incompatible with just basic logic, right? Because on the one hand, you're saying this, on the other hand, or it's, it's double standard, isn't it? But here's the deal. That's just on one logical level. When we read the words of Jesus, Jesus gives these instructions, these commands to his disciples. And his disciples, he tells them, he says things like this, you are the salt of the earth. You are to be lights in a sin darkened world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, right? Nor do people light a lamp and, if you have a King James version, hide it under a bushel. No, it's it's meant to be put on its stand and shine for everybody. So Jesus says that we're to be salt, and Jesus says that we're to be light of the world. God has spoken. We cannot be silent. God has spoken. We cannot be silent. Amen? Now, it's easy to say amen in a place like this. Amen. But here's the deal. If you're a Christian and you speak the truth, get ready to cop it. If you're a Christian, and you speak the truth, get ready to cop it. Citizens of God's kingdom should expect opposition. Listen, it might come from your own family. Might come from your neighbors. Might even come from the government. Now, before you think I'm some wide-eyed crazy alarmist preacher just look at the way our world's headed today look at what's being passed in legislation and laws are, are you are you watching the news just look at the denominations left right and center caving look at christian leaders bowing to the knee to the radical left It's happening, friends, all around us. God has spoken, though. We cannot be silent. But if you're a Christian and you're not silent, get ready to cop it on the chin. (laughs) Today, in our text in Matthew, we see opposition. We see opposition from a suburb Jesus's own suburb, his hometown where he grew up, and we see opposition from a monarch. Or if you wanna stick with S's, we see opposition from a suburb and opposition from a sovereign. But I figured monarch's kinda cool, we don't speak use that language here. So that's what we're gonna look at today. Opposition from a monarch, sorry, opposition from a suburb and opposition from a monarch. Let's look to the Lord now and pray and ask that he would bless his word as it's taught. Gracious God, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather. Lord, we pray that as we look to you, as we consider the reality of opposition to the kingdom, we pray that we would not only be encouraged, but... Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would anchor us, give us boldness as we, as we go and, and we try to be salt and light in this world. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we've come to the end of the parables. And what happens after Jesus gives these parables? He moves on. And you would think... As he moves on, he, he goes back to his, his hometown, right? You'd think, I mean, by this time, he's about two years, give or take, into his ministry. And he's, he's, he's a smash hit, right? So you would think that his little town would want to claim him as their own. Just like you guys want to claim Russell Crowe whenever he's doing well or whatever, right? And when he's not doing so well, ah, he's a Kiwi, okay? So, yeah, that, all right, yeah, that's it you guys can, do you claim me? So you'd think that, hey, look, small town kid made famous, right? made superstar, here he is. But what happens? How do they respond? How do they react? Just like you'd expect a small little community to act when one of their own makes it big, right? Oh, come on. Look at this. Jesus? Look. Sure, we're willing to recognize that, you know, he's made a big splash out in the world performing a few magic tricks and, and you know, convincing people that he's this mess, messianic sort of figure or whatever. But we know, we've known this guy since he's been a little taut running around in nappies. We know who Jesus is. Give us a break. Come on. But remember, remember, Jesus just said, that some, do you remember in chapter 13, some will be given eyes to see, some will be given ears to hear, and others won't? Isn't it interesting that Matthew now puts this little narrative, this little example here, a life illustration, so to speak, of the people of Nazareth. In other words, they're they're a living example of people who have. Not eyes to see, not ears to hear. They, and it's interesting, if, if you're listening or following along as Lisa read the passage, they're, they're not opposed to Jesus because of his preaching style. It says that they were amazed, right? They're amazed. Where did this guy get such knowledge? They're not opposed to Jesus either because he Raised his voice or looked mean when he spoke or pointed fingers or called out names. No, their opposition stems from their hardness of hearts, right? They cannot grasp the secrets of the kingdom, they're like the soil. They're like the tares. they They cannot grasp the secrets of the kingdom. They fail to understand. and as a result, they find Jesus offensive. Join with me in verse fifty three here of Matthew chapter thirteen it says, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that, notice, they were astonished, right? And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are, are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So here's this group. They're gathered together in the synagogue and they can't deny his wisdom. Did you see that? They can't deny his wisdom. They can't deny his power you can almost hear their m- murmuring amongst each other where did this come from right we didn't see this one coming they can't den- and right they can't deny the wisdom they can't deny the power they are suspect of the source though right which is why they ask these interrogating questions they're not really questions they're more accusations isn't this the carpenter's son and isn't he a chippy himself? This guy Jesus? I mean, we're well aware he's running around and convincing people that he's the son of God. But get real. We know his dad. We know the family. They're, they own the big shop. Or they're the chip, they're the local builders in town, or whatever, right? We we know. And look, his sisters are sitting right here amongst us. Remember, Jesus used to be running around right here in the synagogue. And don't miss verse 57. It's not just that they're, you know, kind of scratching their heads with indifference. They are, what? Offended. They were scandalized by Jesus. They stumbled over him. Think about it. These people grew up with Christ. They were amazed at his teaching. And they didn't dispute the miracles either but their hearts were unmoved. Why? Because relatedness or familiarity does not equal receptivity. I'll say that again. Relatedness or familiarity does not equal receptivity. Some of the people that we know best, perhaps perhaps some of your spouses, perhaps a brother, a sister, some of the people that we know best are hardened to the gospel. Some of the people who've been raised closest to the things of God are the most bitter about it. Familiarity can breed contempt. Maybe some of you, I was thinking about this this week. Maybe some of you have recently begun to take your faith more seriously. You're, you're captured by Jesus. And, and you want to know him, you want to grow. There's, there's evidence of God working in your life. But you feel a bit odd, perhaps, because those closest to you, maybe maybe even your family members, aren't as keen as you are. Sure, they, they might not be giving you a direct order to disobey God, or they may not be directly opposing you, but they don't share your enthusiasm to fight sin, to read the scriptures, to share the gospel with others. And it could be, you're starting to wonder if you're maybe, wow, maybe you're a bit overzealous. Friend, if that is you and you're in that space, Listen to the words of Jesus. And if you're following along in the Bible reading plan, you would have read it recently in Luke 14. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple my disciple. If you're going to follow Christ, you might find yourself swimming upstream a bit, even amongst your own family. You might realize that you're going to be viewed by them, perhaps your family, perhaps your closest friends, as, well, prudish, zealous, a bit odd but citizens in God's kingdom should expect this. We should expect this. Again, just because they're related to you by blood doesn't mean they're spiritually related to you. Relatedness or familiarity does not equal receptivity. I mean, isn't that why Jesus says, like the little proverbial catchphrase that he says in verse 57? Look at it with me. A prophet is not without honor, right? prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Basically, Jesus is not recognized for who he is, even when the evidence is right before their eyes. Have you ever been sharing the gospel with someone and maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend and they say something like, how do you know all this stuff is real? Maybe they don't say that in an antagonistic way. Maybe they just, you know, it's a book question. How do you know all this stuff is real? And then they say something like, look, if I, if I could have lived back then, you know, if I could reach out and grab Jesus on the shoulder I could have seen him fed 5,000 people and walked on water, done all these miracles, then I'd believe in him. So how do you respond to something like that? Well, you can read the gospel accounts and see for yourself that hundreds of people, hundreds of people back then saw these miracles, heard Jesus preach, yet rejected him. The problem with unbelief is not a lack of evidence It's a matter of the heart. Listen to the words of J.C. Ryle. He says, Do we fancy that if we had only seen and heard Jesus Christ, that we would have been his faithful disciples? If we do, let us not think so. Let us observe the people of Nazareth and learn wisdom. They saw Jesus' miracles. They heard him preach, and they rejected him. See, there are people who will never turn to Christ despite all the evidence, you see, because it's a matter of the heart. Proximity does not equal receptivity either, by the way. So it's also relatedness doesn't equal receptivity. Proximity doesn't equal it either. I mean, what does the prologue in John's gospel say? He came to his own and his own did not, what? Receive him. And since Jesus is not received, he's not gonna put on some dog and pony show for the Nazarenes. He's not gonna perform all these miracles. Oh, you don't believe it, watch this. Ah, oh, I got a, two rabbits of my sleeve or whatever. He's gonna move on. He's gonna move on. No reason to perform miracles for people who already reject him. Their hearts are hard. The Lord knows that. The Lord sees that. And so there's a sense of judgment here. Notice there? The end of this little event, what he says, Matthew writes, and he says, and he did not do many miracle works there, right? Because of their unbelief. It's not that Jesus was somehow constrained, it's not that Jesus operates going, oh man, I would have done some epic events if y'all had the faith, but you don't, so shucks, you missed out. No, this is a judgment. This is, this is not a, and a note here, this is not a prescriptive thing. Faith healers, false faith healers, use this as a proof text. This is their life text. Because they can easily, how convenient, they show up, the miracles don't work, and what do they say? You didn't have the faith. Look okay, at this passage. has nothing to do. That, that is such a uh, disastrous reading of this text. Think about even what the flow of what Matthew's doing. The prophets not only has honor, but not in, even in his own town, and amongst his own relatives. Jesus knows that. Jesus knows what it is to be a prophet. He knows, and here here is the greatest of all prophets, being rejected. And now we turn to another episode of a prophet who's rejected, who cops it, or goes to the chop block. And that is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So... We've looked at opposition from a suburb. Now we'll look at opposition from a monarch. And the monarch I'm referring to is Herod. And this man's story reads something like a twisted soap opera, honestly. Let's let's read here. What, What Matthew does is, it's actually quite peculiar. It's a bit of a flashback. He kind of, because... News about Jesus is spreading. It's gone viral, right? And, and even when Herod hears about it, he goes, oh, "That must be John the Baptist, the ghost of John the Baptist, raised from the dead, or whatever." And that's why Matthew said. And then you, because you read these couple verses here in fourteen, and you're like, "Wait, what does this have to do?" Well, come with me there. It says, "At that time, Herod the Tetiarch heard about." the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Okay, so you're like, huh? How does that even fit in? Wait, what? And then now, like you're in a movie, you know know when you watch a movie and it goes 25 years earlier? Or whatever. Not 25 years, but you get the idea. Now it's going to show this whole scene, and it's this. Look, Shakespeare could write an epic play. I don't know why Shakespeare didn't choose this. This this would make an. This puts home in a way to shame. Okay, what what goes on here? This is this this is full on, because you've got this guy. Who is uh, you no know, his, well first of all when you read Herod, it's kind of confusing because you're like, which Herod? It's like when you study English history, which Edward, which Henry? I I, I don't know. No, it's Henry VIII. No, the 6th, no the 5th. I don't know which one. It's a Henry somewhere in there. So which Herod is this? Herod Antipas, right? But but the, you might say, "Oh, well that doesn't say Herod Antipas. You liar. It says Herod the Tetrarch." What does that mean? That's like a that's his title. He's like a premier. He's not a king. He's the premier of Galilee. Now, he has a couple of brothers that are premiers as well. He has a brother, Philip, who's a premier. Um, and here's what's interesting. His brother, Philip, must have had a pretty wife named Herodias <laughs> because Herod says, I like your wife. So much so, I think I'll take her for my own. And now you've got this adulterous affair going on. And it's actually an incestuous, adulterous affair. And John the Baptist, he ain't gonna have none of it. He's not gonna have any of it. Look at here, verse three. For Herod has seized John and bound him and put him in prison. Notice why? For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people. Interesting, we're going to come back to this idea, this people-pleasing fear that Herod has. That's what's ultimately going to cause him to really sell out. He feared the people. Because why? They held him as a prophet. But, so here we we have, let's set the scene up here. So here's John the Baptist, right? And he's incarcerated, okay? And why, why, why is he locked up? I mean, he's ultimately locked up because he's speaking the truth, right? And, you know, it would have been easy for John the Baptist not to get involved in this drama, right? I mean, he, he's kind of the strange guy that eats grasshoppers and organic honey. The, the, the dude dresses like the Byron Bay hippie, lives way out in the wilderness. So just mind your own business out there. Besides, think about if you're John. This dude, Herod, he's a pretty powerful bloke. Don't mess with him. He's already, he's already off the rails anyways. He's not coming out to be baptized by you, right? He's not one of your followers, Leave him be. Just leave him alone. But John the Baptist, no. He won't. He, he, he bravely pronounces God's word against Herod, right? Notice there it says John, you see there, John kept on telling him. Do you see that there? So this probably just wasn't a one-off. He kept on publicly denouncing this incestuous Adulterous affair. If you're a follower of Jesus and you speak the truth, get ready to cop it. It's so easy to justify in your head why you shouldn't confront someone. It's so easy to just, oh, you know, who am I to say these things and just go on your merry way. But if you're not actually, here's the deal. Let me put it this way. If you're a Christian and you you and you really believe this book, okay? If you're a Christian and you really believe this book, to stay silent, I think, I think is a bit concerning. I mean, think about it this way. By the, if you want to call it a religion, Christianity, by the very religion that we follow, think of the Great Commission. What are we supposed to do? Hide under a rock until Jesus returns and hope no one persecutes us? No, far fulfilling the Great Commission is to make what? Disciples it's actually to come to people with a worldview. But you see, it's confrontational. Because you have to say to the Muslim, you have to say to the Buddhist, you have to say to the agnostic, to the atheist, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through him. (gasps) that's very, very inclusive, buddy. Yes, not inclusive. It's it's exclusive actually. You see? Just just try this. I mean you don't have to do you don't even have to do this in a mean way. I, I talked to someone this week at Fitness First. If you can't tell, that's where I work out. And he said, Oh, I, I consider myself spiritual, just not religious. That's very typical, right? That's very typical. And I and I want to explore that more with him. But all I have to do is eventually say, no, that's, because here's the deal. Is that guy going to go to heaven on that? No. So what do I have to do? You, buddy, th- really, I, I don't have to do this. I won't do this in a mean way, but you can say it with a smile. You can be as nice as Dan Kenny about it, <laughs> right? But I have to, sorry, Dan. But it's confrontational to say that's wrong, right? Say it as nice as you want. Say it with a smile, that actually doesn't get you to heaven. Excuse me. You see how confrontational that is? Especially in a tolerant world that we live in. And, and you can just keep going down the line. He's actually, you know, um, I won't tell you anything about his life, but, but there's other things in his life that he'd have to actually give up. Put it that way. So, so you see, speaking the truth, it's just part and parcel of Christianity it's part and parcel of fulfilling. You, you can't fulfill the great commission, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You, you, can't, you, can't, do, you can't do those things and just hide it to yourself. We, we are called, we are commissioned with a message that's confrontational by its very nature. So, so you, you understand, it, look, do you want to do this Christian thing or not? I'm serious. I, I could care less if you've been coming here for years. Do you want to do this Christian thing or not? Because if you do, you may not be going to the chop block, hopefully not. But Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, right? Take up his cross and follow me. For would save his life, will lose it. Are you willing to lose Friendships? Oh, not really. Count the cost, friend. Are you willing to cop it on the chin? Count the cost uh, like I said, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just too wide eyed and I watch I, I watch too many I listen to too many podcasts, but I'm telling you this, and this is why I keep going. Thanks, Knowles. It'll just be me and you here next week. Knowles will be like, "Hey, man, I'll be like, yeah, Knowles, and my good my wife's still here too. All right, sweet. Whew. We'll have to move in with you now, Noel, sorry. It, it is absolutely essential. I, I can't stress this enough. You know, when Mike was here last week and Mike talked about church membership and he talked about how important it is that we have a basic statement of faith. Do you remember that? And he said, you know, can't, someone just can't come in here and says, well, I feel like I'm a part of this church because, well, we're not so sure if they're a Christian or not. It is absolutely essential moving forward as we think about our statement of faith that we're very clear about what the Bible teaches about sexuality and gender. Absolutely clear. And if you think that's a bit far, that's a bit stretched, watch the news. Watch the news. It's coming for us. There's a storm coming. It's already, it's already right out there on, on, the, on, the, on the lawn, friends. Now that again... That's not to be mean, that's not to be uh, hostile to any particular group or people. It's the most loving thing we can do to be clear about what the gospel teaches on these issues. It's a disservice to people to allow anybody to live in a particular sin and just promote that and say, that's okay, Jesus is cool with it, and then quote something out of context and say, hey, don't be the first to cast the stone, and come on that That's not the kind of church that we should ever be. We need to be clear about these things, not in a way that's hateful. you know I, I, I'm passionate so it might it might come across right now like it's like I'm expecting all of you to no, and like i'm not I'm not saying that. but we need to be absolutely clear on so many issues. It's so important for us as a church. You see. Like ideas have consequences. And, and we have to be clear on who we are and what we believe as a church. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to cop it on the chin? Because we will. Let's do it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh. Until the American gets kicked out of the country for it. <laughs> Bring it on. What happened to our pastor? They shipped him out. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Dan will lead you guys. I just think Herod could have, the point I'm trying to drive here, and I know I've gone off on a rabbit trail, but I've gotten a lot of good feedback, so that's good from some of you. Some of you might not like it. But look, Herod could have, he could have kept silent, right? But he didn't. Sorry, John, thank you. That's why I have you in the front. Herod didn't. Herod actually. Let's actually read the rest of the story, because let's see what happens. Because it's 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 a uh, it's a very gross scene. Um, Herodias's daughter. Um, it it was probably somewhere in the range of 12 to 14 years old. Okay, so she does this exotic dance before Herod and his officials. Pretty nasty stuff, right? Uh, let's let's pick it up here. It says. But when Herod's, so he has a big birthday bash, but when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath, which was foolish, right? To give her whatever she might ask. Wow. That's right, up to half his kingdom. Now, she goes to her mom and goes, mom, what should we ask for? What should we ask for? What does she say? Give me the head of that dude in jail. And Pharaoh, he's in a bit of a pickle, right? Sorry, not Pharaoh. Herod, thank you. Where was your help on that one? Herod's in a Pharaoh. What did I say? Pharaoh, that's thousands of years earlier. That's a major flashback. Herod's in a bit of a pickle, right? I, it's interesting, he's, he's reluctant. I don't think he's reluctant to kill him because they already said that he wanted to kill him, right? He already wanted to kill him. I think he's reluctant because it's probably political reasons. He, he has, he's gonna execute someone without a trial so then he could he could lose his premiership for that. So I think, I think whatever the reason is, though, he caves under pressure, right? He wants to show face. He just made this huge announcement I'll give you up to half. Now, what he could have said is, well, John the Baptist's head is not part of that half that I was referring to. But, you know. So he but he doesn't. He he caves under pressure. So, off with his head. And the story comes to a conclusion when the servants arrive with this gruesome severed head of a prophet. This was the final course. Of the banquet, the head of a prophet. It's interesting, though, that John makes an impact. Though dead, he had made such an impact on people that his followers are willing to still come and bury his body. John's boldness touched the lives of his followers. And I close with asking the question, friend, what sort of permanent influence would your life have on people? Are you willing to be bold? Are you willing to cop it? People, especially if your are parents in here, your kids are watching. Look, there might be decisions coming down the track that you have to make that are difficult, but it's the right thing to do but your kids are watching you. That's the legacy you're going to have. And grandparents as well. They're they're watching you. And you know, it's interesting with Herod, is that though John's dead, remember this is a flashback, and he hears about Jesus, Herod's message, sorry, John the Baptist's message lives on, still haunting him. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? You know, they might try to silence us, but God's word will never return void. The truth will out. Our job is to be faithful to what God has said. Friends, are we willing to cop it on the chin? Let's pray. You're fired up, you're ready. That's good. Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for the enthusiasm this morning, the excitement. Lord um, to look at a passage and to get ex- and to get fired up, and yet at the same time, n- uh, to not be as loving as we should and as gentle as we should. Help us as we interact with people in the days and the weeks and the months ahead. Um, to be people that are uh, as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. To to be clear, to be people of the word, and to be people that are full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We, we pray that you would help us, Lord, as we uh, maybe even feel prompted now to be clear with our friends, with our family, exactly what it is to follow you, what it means to follow you, who you are, and but we pray that at the same time, you'd help us to be gentle, to be, to be good listeners, to really be concerned for people's souls. Help us to do that, we ask. We can't do that on our own, Lord. We, we need your Holy Spirit to work that into our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.